You're listening to audio from Park Church. More info and resources are online at parkchurch.org. Take care. Psalm 120, a song of ascents. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Amanda. Good morning to all of you. How's everybody doing? Good. That was a way better response than the 9 a.m. 9 a.m. was like... Um, my name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. We're so excited that you all have joined us. Also, happy Pentecost Sunday to you, as we mentioned at the beginning. Uh, we are so grateful for the Holy Spirit here at this church. Uh, we want to be a people who increasingly love God and walk in step with the Spirit and are full of His gifts, are full of the fruit of the Spirit. And so today is just a powerful reminder that we rely on the Holy Spirit. We rely on Him, not ourselves. And uh, that's, that's a, a something that this day celebrates. Uh, if you've been at part during the summer, you will know that we always come back to the Psalms. Uh, we go through them psalm by psalm in consecutive order uh, for 10 to 12 weeks at a time. Also, I want to mention this, a couple details about this summer. I'll, I'll mention this at the beginning of the summer so you know what to be ready for. Uh, when you walk in from the outside, there should be like a panel, an 18 by 18 panel out there. We've commissioned artists from our churches, uh, from our church here at Park Church, uh, to create something in response to that psalm of that particular week. And so this week, we feature artwork from Isaac Beaverson out there. Um, also, there's an artist statement right by it. And so if you're an arts person, go check that out. Engage with it. Check it out. If you're not an arts person, go check it out, engage with it, get to know more about it, ask questions like, why did they use these colors? Why did they use this image? Why did they use these shapes? Read about the artist, read about the, the piece and the process, and I think you will be richer for it. We believe that God um, uses the arts to disciple our eyes and our imagination, and we want to be a people who care about the arts. God is the first creative being in the universe, and we are made in His image. Another uh, couple things. Uh, we've received questions like, uh, what are, what's up with like these banners on the side? There's like a one on it, and then there's like 150 on the other one. Psalm, the book of Psalms starts in Psalm 1 and finishes in Psalm. Okay, next one. In the back, you see a couple decals on the back. On, on the right over there, it's Psalm 120, and then Psalm 129. Today, we are starting in Psalm 100 and... And we're going to end this summer in Psalm 100 and? All right. Got that resolved. Today I am preaching from Psalm 120, as the decal should reveal to you. Uh, last week, Gary gave us an overview of the songs of ascents, the songs of, of pilgrims. Uh, we're going to be in the first 10 of these songs. Uh, we'll, we'll cover the last final five next year. Um, but these are known as the songs of ascents, uh, the songs of degrees, the, the pilgrims' songs. These uh, songs were on the lips of Jewish worshipers as they'd head to Jerusalem three times a year uh, in order to participate in religious feasts. 
Uh, in a real way, these songs of ascents were the Spotify playlist that everyone would crank on their donkey or their horse on their way into Jerusalem. Um, just by a show of hands, how many of you guys are like playlist people here? Playlist people here. Okay, before you go on a long playlist, if you are creating a playlist, what are some important things to think about when you are curating said playlist? Just yell, yell some things out right now. What was that? Who your audience? Audi- big one. Who your audience is? Thank you for that, Braden. Vibe, activity, all of these things. So if I, if I go work out, and then the first song that they start us in, it's going to be a really heavy breathing workout, and then they start out like with Enya or something like that. Is that going to go well or is it going to go poorly? Right? It's not, it's not going to go well, right? Intention, audience, vibe or mood, scenery, the distance, how long you're supposed to go. There's somebody in the last service that said, uh, oh, an important thing to consider is is something that's calming for the ride. I mean, clearly you are a parent, right? We don't always need calming music, right? Uh, you intentionally pick songs in a playlist that will be good companions on your journey, and you pick songs that you think will enhance your journey. God, in his beautiful and providential care for us, curated for us 15 songs in this playlist that we will be going through. These first 10 that we'll be going through this summer. Um, and in, in this playlist, we're going to find a bunch of different songs a lot of different genres here. We're going to find laments, uh, songs of thanksgiving, a song focusing in on Zion, a royal, a royal psalm, wisdom psalms. We'll find a more liturgically focused, that invites, a song that invites us into temple worship. These were all songs for the journey. At initial glance, we might not see the connection point between all of them. We're not sure why they're placed together, but indeed, they were all placed here craftfully. As a collective whole, they're a massive gift gift to us in our journey, and God knew that we would need this playlist, not just for the the worshipers back then, but also for us today in Denver 2022. You see, all of us are pilgrims. You are a pilgrim. We're all on a journey trying to figure out our way through this world, and as Christians, we ultimately believe that true life and our true home isn't found over in Israel and Jerusalem. It's not found here in Denver or some neighborhood within Denver. It's not found in a holy site. It's not found in success at work. It's not found in the amount of money being in our bank account. It's not found in being liked or loved by a particular person. It's not found in owning a home or owning a mountain home or a physical possession. We believe that our truest and our most eternal home is in God. God. And he's the only one that can bring satisfaction to our souls. And he knows the things that we need and we ache for. I want to quote Augustine in his famous book, Confession. He prays this. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. I want to read this again. You have made us for yourself, Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. And that's what these songs of ascents are about. They know that our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God as we make our way along this journey of following Jesus. And so I want to start our time just by praying. Uh, God is with us as we celebrated in Pentecost. You know, God is with us by His Spirit, and yet there are certain times where His Spirit does something special, and I want to ask God to do that as we look into His Word. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we ask that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word. Help us see you 
In this passage, help us see ourselves, help us see our world in a new light, in a rightful way. Uh, We ask that you would enlighten us, that you would open the eyes of our hearts to see you. And we want to know you more. We want to walk with you more deeply this summer than last summer. Let this summer be a time of growth and of journeying with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, in this beautiful playlist that we have in the Songs of Ascent, our first track is Psalm 120. Uh, If you create playlists and you hit the shuffle function, that's not what we're going to be doing this summer. We're going to be going song by song in order. The first song, as we mentioned before, is very, very important. It sets the tone for the rest of the playlist. And I want to be honest, if I were making this playlist right here, I would not have started with Psalm 120. I wouldn't have done it. I probably would have started with Psalm 121. I lift my eyes to the hills. Doesn't it invoke this sense of this, this sojourner, this pilgrim looking up at these mountains and they know a journey is coming, right? I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? It comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Maybe I would have started with Psalm 122, verse 1. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I can't help but hear Miguel saying that every time I read that passage. Psalm 120 is a much more sober and honest and dark and, dare I say, human psalm. It kind of doesn't end even on the right note. It ends in kind of a weird place that you're kind of like left when you watch that indie movie and you're kind of like, wait, the credits are coming along? Is this like a Marvel movie where we're going to see something at the end? Is there going to be something else that we find out? Oh, no, that's the end. Okay. Psalm 120 is a bit of a letdown. It's not going to pump you up. But I will say this, it will situate you, and I think that's exactly why it's here. It will situate us. Stated another way, our journey must start in Psalm 120, but it won't end here. Our our journey will start here, but it won't end here. I want to do a quick overview of this psalm before we dive in. We don't know a lot of things about Psalm 120. We don't know its author. We don't know when it was written. We don't know why it was written. Even the very uh, structure of the psalm itself is somewhat confusing and perplexing. It defies genre and categories. Most likely it's an individual or a personal lament. We find 10 references to self in this psalm and only two to God himself. But even within the lament genre, it doesn't play nicely. I I really have appreciated Walter Brueggemann's uh, insight into the Psalms. He says that there are three kinds of uh, Psalms, Psalms of of orientation, Psalms of disorientation, and then Psalms of reorientation or Psalms of new orientation. So Psalms of orientation where everything is as it should be. We find truths about God, the world, and ourselves. And we're like, yes, that's it. Psalms of orientation. And then Psalms of disorientation, where the kind of the truths that we thought we knew about God are brought into question. We're like, man, what in the world? Are you really good, God? I'm, I'm confused right now. There's some incoherence. There's a struggle to reconcile my reality of the experienced world with what I see in the scriptures. Things aren't as they should be, and we're perplexed. We're disoriented. And then thirdly, Psalms of reorientation or new orientation, where In fact, maybe some of the old truths of God that we were tempted to discard are rediscovered, but with new profundity, new depth, following God's rescue, when things weren't as they should be, but you've come into a new understanding of God and the world and even yourself. Within these categories, Psalm 120 is 
a psalm of disorientation. It's disorienting to read this psalm. It starts with a pilgrim in a faraway land feeling isolated, and it doesn't end well. Far from where you want to be, stressed out, things aren't going the way you wish they were going. How many of you have experienced that reality? How many of you felt disoriented in life? How many of you felt far from God? Maybe like an alien in a foreign land. How many of you felt alone in a crowd full of people? How many have been misunderstood or slandered or gossiped about or threatened? How many of you have been rejected by a loved one? Maybe someone who abandoned a marriage. Psalm 120 includes all of these realities, all of these feelings. This is a big emotion psalm. Here's the gift of Psalm 120. Before we know where we're going, it's often helpful to name where you are. Before we know where we're going, it's often helpful to name where we actually are. Before you plot out the destination, it's helpful to locate yourself on a map and say, where am I really? How do I get to where I'm going? Psalm 120 is a song of a sense, state of the union. Where in the world are we and how are we doing? And I think this step, even though I wanted to exclude it from this playlist, it's essential for the journey. And without this, I don't even think we can take the first step. This is the first step in our journey. And so for the sake of ease, we're going to walk through this psalm kind of from top to bottom. Um, and I want to offer you three easy takeaways for our journey and move, that, that help move us along the way. And I think Psalm 120, in a sense, comes to us almost like a, like a friend that, that meets up with us right before we're about to go on a long trip. And let's just pretend and imagine with me that Psalm 120 comes and knocks on your door and you're about to leave on a trip. And you open up the door and then Psalm 120 is there and they say, I have some gifts for you for your journey. I know this is cheesy, but I've got some props for us today. It's a big day here in Park Church. We don't do props. Uh, but I've got three of them for you today. Actually, four, including the backpack. But um, also, I want to say this, that a true road trip would not be truly from Denver if it weren't a Topo backpack. So we got a Topo backpack, so it's a, it's a Denver-endorsed uh, road trip. That was stupid. I'm sorry. All right. What do we have in here, folks? First gift that Psalm 120 offers us for our journey. And I want to say this. I think this is a gift that Psalm 120 offers all of us. These are things that all of us need to take on our journeys. Gift number one is this. What is this? What is it? It's a photo album. I want to say this. That Psalm 120 reminds us that we need to be a people of spiritual photo albums, of spiritual memories, of theological memories, and we need to remember often who we are, who God is. My daughters love to look through photo albums like this, looking through our phones at digital photos, going through the years of photos, looking at when they were babies. Psalm 120 offers us a photo album that, be, that, that kind of, in a sense, sets the stage for the rest of our journey, not just random facts about life, but rather it is encouraging us to remember particular truths about who God is and what he has done for us before we set out on our journey. At its most basic, we begin our spiritual journey not alone. We're not alone on our journeys, but we are accompanied by a God who hears us and responds. Let's look together at verse 1. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. If you look at this verse in Hebrew, it reads literally, to Yahweh in my distress, I called and he answered. 
To Yahweh, in my distress, I called and he answered. The way that this sentence is structured in Hebrew reveals that the psalmist is actually not emphasizing primarily themselves, but rather emphasizing God himself. The focus is not on the one doing the crying out to God, but rather the one to whom they are crying or calling. In my distress, this word distress brings with it the idea of tightness, of narrow or confined space. In uh, 2018, I don't know if you guys remember, there's a story of a soccer team, 12 boys and their soccer coach in northern Thailand who went into a what? A cave. This is an awful story, but it ends well, right? They go into this cave and they go into the depths. Right? I think a few miles in, I think there's a, there's a, a documentary on Netflix called The Rescue, I think that, that talks more about it. But they hiked deep in and suddenly got trapped in there because it got flooded. And so for 18 days... We kept checking the news again and again and again to find out if these boys were rescued. And there was this whole ordeal. Elon Musk somehow got involved. I'm like, wait, what? Um, And yet through this kind of long process, these, these boys and the soccer coach that were in a confined, tight space were rescued. They were delivered. The psalmist similarly cried out to God to be delivered from a tight space that they were in, likely caused by someone lying about them, someone seeking to do them ill. They cried, God answered them, and came to their rescue. And in a sense, that's what the gift of Psalm 120 is trying to do in this first gift. Remember, remember what God has done. In your distress, you called to the Lord, and he answered you. Do you remember that picture? Look at it. Look at that picture. Psalm 120 reminds us on our spiritual journey that our, each of our individual journeys are only possible, so our journeys are only possible as we journey towards God, towards our true home. Our spiritual journeys are only possible. Why? Because God has journeyed toward us first and foremost. God has journeyed toward us. Why does this matter? We live in such an achievement culture. You've got to earn it and prove it mentality. And yet Christian, the Christian journey starts on the opposite foot. It begins with grace. It begins with a free gift. It doesn't begin with a paycheck that we somehow earned at the end of our day. If you want to know what distinguishes Christianity from other religions, this is it. Before we can make our way to God, God makes his way to us. Before we can lay our lives down for God, God lays his, down, his life down for us in his son. 1 John 4.19 says this. We love because he first what? Loved us. God is prevenient. God is prior. God is before. If you miss this, you will miss the whole thing. Our journeys start with God's journey toward us, and that's great news because that's the good news of the gospel. Every service here at Park Church, what do we start with? We start with a call to worship. And what do we read? We read God's word. That's intentional. We always start with God. God always gets the first word in our services. He is the host of the party. He's the one playing the music, inviting us to dance. And he's calling out to all of us from the various places that we're in, all of our emotional states. If we took a poll from all of you who are in this room, we're all coming from vastly different places. Some of us believe in Jesus. Some of us don't believe in Jesus. Some of us, I mean, I used to believe in Jesus. I don't even know what I believe anymore. You're in this, in this state of disorientation, kind of like what we, men- we mentioned before. And yet God extends this call to worship to all of us all the same. If we're going to make it on our journeys, we must learn to remember this truth that God has journeyed toward us. Our memories are selective creatures, aren't they? We can choose to remember things and forget others. 
We can choose to remember the ways that we've been let, let down. But in this case, the psalmist intentionally calls us to remember a particular time when God actually intervened. And that's the first gift, is a, is a remembrance of God's journey toward us in a photo album. All right, next gift. It's this. It's a good old moleskin. It's a journal, if we will. Some of you might have owned something called the diary, right? A little, a little lock on the front because you wanted to make sure you got all of your unfiltered, unhindered thoughts. You didn't want your parents to read them. My daughters have like the, the notebook from Harry Potter that has like the invisible ink that you write on it. And so they write their crushes on it. And then you can like look at it with like the little light and be like, oh my gosh, Steve, you know? <laughs> It's not Steve. I don't know. I don't know. They, I don't, you know. Steve, if you're listening, that's not you. <laughs> Diaries represent naked honesty before God. Psalm 120 invites us into a relationship with God that's akin to a diary, that, that we can just unlock this thing and write it all out before God and just be completely vulnerable and honest before Him. I think we li- live in a, in a calculated, sheltered, walled, vulnerable city, do we not? We don't want to be too vulnerable with people, and yet I think the Psalter is inviting us to a deeper vulnerability with God than we've ever known. Read with me verse 2. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. A person that's writing this is calling on God. At one point in time, verse 1, they called to God and he's delivered them. He saved them. Verse 2, this person's like, do it again, Lord. What you did in the past, I want you to do in the present. What I wrote down in one journal entry right here, I'm writing four weeks later, four years later, four decades later. God, do it again. Would you deliver me, oh, you who delivered me in the past? And I'm going to ask you for help. And I don't want to be let down again because I've asked you before and I've been let down. But I still believe you are who you say you are in your word. They're asking for deliverance from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. This word for deceit in Hebrew has embedded in it a sense that someone is like shooting at them with a bow, with their words. They're in the firing line. Someone is out to get the psalmist with their arrows of deceit. I want to ask you a question. When arrows are flying and challenges come into your life, where do you most often run? Where do you run? Where do you go? Some of us run outward to try to control and fix whatever's going going wrong. Some of us run to distractions, be it shopping, social media, alcohol, narcotics, porn, hooking up with someone, trying to get our mind off of it, just being plain busy. Some of us run inwardly and we get, we we, we run into complaining, wallowing in our resentment and our bitterness, asking, why me? Why again? It's interesting, the psalmist actually runs not outwardly or inwardly, but upward to God in an incredible amount of honesty. They cry out to God and they name with specificity what's coming against them. What about you? What's your prayer life like? Is it honest? Do you name things before God? Do you come to Him with honesty? Do you name things that come against you? Do you talk to God about them? Do you talk to God about all of life? The psalmist seems to have a diary approach to their prayer life. Honesty, specificity. I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon. He comments on this passage. When we are slandered, it is a joy that the Lord knows us and cannot be made to doubt our uprightness. He will not hear the lie against us, but he will hear our prayer against the lie. 
Talk about fuel for our prayers. And as we cry out to God, it's good news that God actually sees the truth for actually what it is. And he sees us and he responds to us. We learn to cry out to God with honesty when we believe actually that he's good. As we sang today, God, you are good. God, you are good. You're so good to me. Do we believe that? If we believe that, we begin to pray to him more and more. All right, let's keep going. Verses three through four. What shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with the glowing, with glowing coals of the broom tree. It's interesting, right? The psalmist is talking to God. They're like looking at God saying, deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. And if, if the camera was focused in, all of a sudden you see the person who's calling out to God, all of a sudden they'll turn and address their, their, um, their conversation to the deceitful tongue. The, the psalmist begins to talk to the deceitful tongue that had been speaking lies about them. In the same way that the psalmist was honest to God about saying, I need deliverance, the psalmist is equally honest over here saying, you know what, you deceitful tongue, I'm wanting justice and judgment on you. Because what you're speaking are lies. These arrows that you're shooting at me are lies. And what they're saying, what are you going to get, you deceitful tongue? You, this, this is honest talk right now. And actually what's interesting is ultimately the psalmist is saying, God, I was talking to you earlier. Would you begin to shoot arrows of truth and of justice and of judgment at, at this deceitful tongue? Because what they're shooting at me is a lie, is a lie. It's God doing the firing of arrows. This is not an allowance for personal retribution or attack. The scriptures are clear that vengeance belongs to the Lord, not to us. But it's interesting right here, verse 5, or sorry, 4, it says a warrior's sharp arrows, these aren't dull arrows, it says with glowing coals of the broom tree. What's this about? Broom trees or juniper trees uh, were desert bushes that grew to approximately 10 to 15 feet. Its wood was well known for being amazing charcoal that, because it retains its heat for a long period of time. So hence this glowing. So in a sense, the psalmist seems to be saying, God shoot at them with these like flaming arrows in order to burn down whatever they're concocting and whatever they're building against me. If I were to show up to my daughter's uh, school playground and, and, and a bully is attacking one of my daughters, and my daughter sees me, she's like, Dad, help, what would I do? I'd respond, I'd be like, oh, it's game time, right? Here we go, right? I would respond, I would intervene, and I would rush into the situation, and with one hand, I would protect my daughter, I would, in a sense, deliver my daughter, and with my other hand, I would push the bully away, right? I would protect my daughter from this bully. I would bring about justice and judgment. And ultimately, verses 2 and 3 through 4 are are bringing together these two ideas, right? In one hand, we're asking for deliverance from God. And then the other, the psalmist is saying, God, also don't just deliver me. Bring about justice and judgment for these things. And ultimately, I think this is one request, but just two sides of the same coin. Deliverance and justice. Justice and and deliverance. And that what the, that's what the psalmist is asking with a, with a deep, honest heart before God. I want to learn to be more honest before God. The psalmist is open-hearted like a diary before the Lord. I love this about Psalm 120. It knows that we must start where we actually are and not where we wish we were. 
Psalm 120 knows we must start where we actually are in our faith and not where we wish we were. We're so quick to compare and be like, well, that person is doing this and that. Stop. Stop the comparison game. Open up your diary and be honest before God on who you really are and where you truly are. There's a strange lie that many of us believe that our prayers must be packaged in a particular way and sound like a particular person. That's not the way of the Psalter. This psalm reminds me I need to let my guard down a little bit more in my prayer life. Don't begin trying to impress God or even be something you're not. I want to read this quote from Eugene Peterson in his book, Answering God. It says this, It is easy to be honest before God with our hallelujahs. It is somewhat more difficult to be honest in our hurts. Okay, it's getting more complicated. It is nearly impossible to be honest before God in the dark emotions of our hate. So we commonly suppress our negative emotions unless neurologically we advertise them. Or when we do express them, we do it far from the presence or what we think is the presence of God, ashamed or embarrassed to be seen in these curse-stained bib overalls. But when we do pray the Psalms, these classic prayers of God's people, we find that will not do. We must pray who we actually are, not who we think we should be. I want to read that again. We must pray who we actually are, not who we think we should be. And ultimately, Psalm 120 says, hey, be honest, be honest, be honest. Bring your whole self in your prayer life, not just the pretty parts. All right, our final item that Psalm 120 offers us for our journey is this. It's a box of tissues. A box of tissues. Why? Psalm 120 knows that the road toward God is hard. It's filled with tears. Life is and will be hard. There's no way around it. If you stay put where you are, or if you go on the journey, things will be hard. We assume that life should always be up and to the right, but true discipleship knows that there will be ups and downs. And Psalm 120 reminds us that when things are difficult, that difficulty is in turn to be grieved and lamented. I want to say this. God wants us to come before him with our grief. Grief is meant to be expressed, not suppressed in the presence of God. Grief is meant to be expressed, not suppressed in the presence of God. We must learn to cry before God. We must learn to cry with God. Let's look at verses 5 through 7 together. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. They are for war. What else do you have to say, psalmist? That's it. I'm done. That's the end of our psalm. Do you hear the exhaustion? They're at the end of their rope. When your native tongue is peace and truth, but everyone around you speaks a different language of war and of lies, it's exhausting. This isn't a bad day. It's not a bad week. This is an ongoing painful reality. It's not a quick fix. They were dwelling there in a place against their will. Imagine what it's like. And some, for someone in Ukraine, in, in Russian-occupied town, words like this might mean something. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. These last three verses are deep lament. In a sense, the psalmist is giving us a broader picture of their situation and all that they're experiencing. 
I'm living where I don't want to be, amongst people I don't want to be amongst. We see two geographical references in verse 5. It says, Woe to me that I sojourn in, in Meshech, that I dwell amongst the tents of Kedar. What are these places? Meshech was to the north of Israel in Asia Minor uh, by the sea, so it's a, it's a sea town. Kedar was to the southeast of Israel in Arabia by the desert, so a, so a desert and a sea town. It's far, far away. These places were a long way from each other, so it's, it's less likely of an actual physical location that the psalmist was in, more of a poetic representation that they were in hostile territory where they felt far from home and under siege. So what do you do with all these feelings? These feelings of exile, feelings of being alone in a foreign land. Well, this psalm tells us, woe to me, woe to me. Often we're taught that in the presence of sad things that we need to put a bow on it. I'm going to be super cheesy right now and say that Psalm 120 teaches us to put a woe on it. Put a woe on it. Grieve it. It's not right. Things shouldn't be this way. We're not looking for a Jesus juke in this psalm. Woe to me. Woe to me. This one is hard for me as well. My tendency is to try to look at the bright side. But what if the Bible actually teaches us to look at the dark side as well? What if the same Bible that calls us to rejoice as we sang today is the same Bible that calls us to lament when there are th real things to grieve? It's not about perpetual wallowing, but it's also not about ignoring or pretending that everything is okay. Just whistle in the dark until things and the lights turn on, right? That's not what we're talking about. It's interesting that verse 1 coexists with verse 5 in the same chapter. The, the remembrance of verse 1 doesn't cancel out the woes of verse 5. They coexist in this psalm, and they should coexist in our lives. Jerry Scazzaro uh, talks about the importance of processing our emotions in this quote. Uh, she says, unprocessed emotions don't die. They get buried alive and cause deep problems to surface, right? What about you? Do you bury your emotions or do you bring them before God? Do you, do you have, in a sense, a, a spiritual Kleenex box that you can grieve before God and be honest before him, not just with like these, these kind of hard things, but also with the things that are, that are, that are grieve-worthy? Psalm 120 wants to teach us to walk as wholehearted pilgrims as we learn to experience and bring before God the whole gamut of our emotions and not just the ones that have been sanctioned by the Western church, the ones that are deemed appropriate for church, we must learn to grieve and lament the wrong and painful things that we see in the world and that we see in our lives, in our neighbors' lives. I mean, last week we were grieving the shooting, right? We, we've done that for a few weeks. And it's like, how much more? How much more, God? How much more? the continued reality of racism in our country, the taking of the lives of the unborn, and then also the reasons that people are even put into that place in the first place, right there. Why do they need to make that decision? What is going on? The list goes on and on. So many things to grieve. So many things to grieve. Uh, if you struggle with this, like me, uh, there, I want to share one helpful hopefully exercise that you might try at a different point in time. Uh, Pete Scazzaro, husband to, to Jerry Scazzaro, uh, he encouraged us to ask four questions as part of his exercise called Exploring the Iceberg. Sounds fun. Exploring the Iceberg. But he asked four questions. Uh, what are you angry about right now? What are you sad about? What are you anxious about? And then what are you glad about? 
Four questions. What are you angry about? It might be from the past or the present. What are you sad about? It might be a small or big loss, a disappointment, a choice that you made or somebody else made. Uh, thirdly, what are you anxious about? Are you anxious about money, your future, family, health, job? Fourth, what are you glad about? A relationship, an opportunity, your church, whatever it is. And then he says, talk to Jesus about that. In a sense, it's, it's, you're writing a psalm before God. We must learn to write our own psalms and put our own words and experiences in there. I want to I wanna point something out that as I, I, I read this, like, woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. It's kind of ironic, right? Because we live in Denver. And I was trying to relate to this psalm because I was like, kind of everybody wants to be here for the most part, Right? This psalmist is trying to move away from these places. Everybody else is trying to move to Denver. And so I kind of felt a little bit conflicted. I think if we wrote verse 5, we might say something like this. Blessed are those who sojourn in Denver, who dwell in the overpriced townhomes and condos of the highlands. (laughs) If we wrote out a lament, we might say something to the extent of the home prices, right? The traffic that's atrocious on I-25, to and from the mountains of I-70, those are the things that we're most likely to lament. And so I felt like I was reading this, and I was like, man, this, this seem, seeming like incoherency with the place that they're li- living won't land for us here. And so I want to ask you a question. When I came to realize that the psalmist was frustrated with the lies of their own place, I was asking myself the same question. What lies do we deal with here in Denver? What lies do we wrestle with here in this city? I think we, we deal with lies and deception in Denver as well, but the realities are much more subtle. In fact, we see no need to grieve and issue uh, woes over that which we love. But I want to say this to you. Make no mistake, this city has lies that we must actively reject. What are some of those lies? I, I texted a few people um, to say, hey, what lies do you think are, are prevalent in Denver? I'm just going to read a few because uh, these were some of the responses that, that people kind of could think of. Rampant individuality. You do you. Uh, just secular hedonism where pleasure and experience is ultimate. Materialism. Comparison. The externally perfectly curated life. Don't miss out on anything. Life should be fun, Right? Life should be casual and not require sacrifice or commitment. My flakiness doesn't matter. It doesn't affect other people. People who are different from me annoy me, and I don't want to be their neighbor. I just want to be around people just like me. When someone else becomes inconvenient or an obstacle, I can slash should cut them off. Life should be comfortable. Idolizing romantic relationships. If I can just get a bit more of fill in the blank, then I'll be happy. Once I retire, then I'll finally be more of the peaceful person I want to be and slow down. Karma. It might be karma Christianity. If I just do all the right things, the universe will be kind to me. Suffering is an out-of-the-norm experience to run from. The American or Denver dream or pursuit of happiness is everything. Also, our expectation that it should be ours. Each of us can make a list. What are the lies that we believe that we need to resist? I love this one. This might be the biggest lie on this list. Santiago burritos are the best breakfast burritos. (laughs) 
When I speak, they are for war. You guys can hate, but we can talk after. Um, No, in all seriousness, um, I want to speak to you, church. We must learn the gift of discernment living in Denver. We must learn to receive the truths that are here. We must learn to reject the lies that are in this town as well. And we must learn to redeem that which can be repurposed and used in service of a kingdom vision. We need to learn to reject that which doesn't look like God or his kingdom. And we, uh, and we need to ask ourselves, where might be God extending opportunities for us to redeem situations used for his glory, used for him? So receive, reject, redeem. I want to close with this question. What does Jesus have to do with Psalm 120? This is called Christ in the Psalms. Uh, The good news for us today is that Jesus actually perfectly lived out Psalm 120. He faithfully left his throne. He went on a pilgrimage amongst a people who did not receive him, but rather rejected him. He knew sorrow and pain so much. He's called the man of sorrows. He called the suffering, suffering servant in Isaiah. In the book of John, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But he lived amongst a lost people, a lying people, a dead people. Verse 7 says, I am for peace. Literally, it's translated, I am peace. Jesus wasn't merely for peace. Jesus is our peace today. He is our shalom. We were his enemies at war with him. And what did he do? He didn't come in swinging a sword at us, but rather he laid down his own life in order to be pierced for us. He didn't impose his life on us, but rather he laid down his life to bring peace between us and God. At the cross, he took on the judgment that we read about in verses three and four so that we could actually experience peace. Jesus lived this psalm out perfectly, and it's amazing. He fulfills this psalm, but also he teaches us to pray it in real time in our everyday realities. Let's pray together. Jesus, uh, we thank you that you are the one who fulfilled this. That in our distress, we called to you, and you answered us. You answered us. And I, I pray that you would speak to each person in this room. You know where each of us are at. You know where we need to go in our journeys. And I pray that this would be a summer of growth for us, that we would be a people who remember all the ways that you've met us, that we'd be a people who are honest and that we would be a people who lament and grieve the real things that need to be grieved. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Heart Church exists to make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and for the joy of all people. If you enjoyed this, make sure you share it with someone. We'd also love to hear from you on social media at Heart Church Denver. Lastly, more resources and info are available online at partchurch.org. Peace and love.